Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two ministers of God's economy who served together in China for nearly 20 years. Watchman Nee was imprisoned by the Chinese government in 1952 and remained there until his death in 1972. Following his imprisonment, Witness Lee carried on this ministry in Taiwan and eventually in America and ultimately around the world. He served the Lord for more than 70 years before going to be with him in 1997. His major contribution was through a 21-year labor he called Life Study, an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible. This program is based on those messages. Before we join today's show, we'd like to give you our website where you can find more programs just like this one. It's lsmradio.org. Again, lsmradio.org radio.org. Now, here's our show today. God's aim in his salvation is to make his people his dwelling place. The book of Exodus is a book revealing God's full salvation, and the second half of the book is devoted to this crucial topic. Stay with us for today's life study of the Bible with Witness Lee as we look ahead to the revelation of the tabernacle of God. Joining us today for another excursion into the book of Exodus is Ron Kangas. Ron, welcome to our program once again. Glad to be here to fellowship on uh, Exodus 24 and its relationship to the book as a whole. Ron, uh, you and I were last together uh, in Jerusalem, and we thought we would have a time to conclude uh, this broadcast while we were still on our uh, travel in the Middle East. But uh, as things worked out, and uh, we're here in our studio once again, so our listeners will notice a difference in how we sound today. And that's uh, even though it's the final program this week, it's because we're back in our studios in Anaheim and a little different setting than where we've been for the last couple of weeks, isn't it? It was really wonderful to go on the trip. The Lord measured out a finite period of time, and we did what we could during that uh, allotment. But we feel comfortable and peaceful to be here, and it's good not to be rushed and pressed by an overtight schedule so that we can uh, fellowship clearly concerning this very particular portion of the Scriptures. Well, let's talk about that for a few minutes. Uh We've mentioned now all all week long, and particularly today, the final broadcast at this point of time in the book of Exodus. Why is this a good time or an appropriate time for us to bring in a New Testament book, the book of Galatians, and insert it into our life study sequence before we come back to Exodus and finish with the revelation of the tabernacle? This is a good time because we are completing a major section of the book and there will be a turning point after chapter 24 in which the revelation centers on the building of God's dwelling place. It's also a logical time to go to the book of Galatians because it presents basic truths concerning the gospel. And it, the ministry on Galatians really strengthens and highlights many of the crucial points of the ministry on the enactment of the covenant from Exodus. So we have been considering God as a covenanting God and God's desire to use the law 
as an engagement paper, but also to expose God's people and to keep them until Christ can come as the Redeemer. Well, this is precisely what we have in Galatians. And so it's very good to go from Exodus to Galatians at this point, focusing on the crucial matter of the new covenant and of the all-inclusive Christ versus religion and the law, and Christ as the Spirit being the unique blessing, and this is for the many sons who become the heavenly Jerusalem as the consummate corporate expression of the triune God. Well, Ron, as we've mentioned, this is a transitional program, and really you and I are going to do the recap today, and we're going to break from our normal pattern of including portions of Witness Lee, and we're going to save that for when we come back to the book of Exodus after these coming eight or nine weeks that we're going to be in Galatians. But today we're going to talk both about Galatians, as you've just indicated now. Uh, it is a good time, an appropriate time to include or insert this book into our life study sequence. We also want to look ahead a little bit as to where we're going to be when we come back to Exodus. We've mentioned this is a transitional chapter, chapter 24. It really gives us an advanced look at God's additional revelation. Following the law, he called Moses again to the mountain of God and revealed to him the pattern for his dwelling place, the tabernacle. The tabernacle, interestingly, shows up three different times or in three different contexts in Scripture. First, the pattern that was given Moses on Mount Sinai and then constructed by the children of Israel at the base of Sinai, that literal physical tabernacle. Then in the New Testament, the Gospels refer to the Lord Jesus, uh, particularly the Gospel of John, as the tabernacle. Then, of course, the ultimate final tabernacle pointing us to the New Jerusalem. Would you comment on the tabernacle in these three aspects? We have the tabernacle in Exodus as a type. Then we have the tabernacle in the New Testament in two stages. Uh, Both are realities. First, with Christ, we have the personal uh, reality. Christ himself in his person is the real tabernacle. And then this tabernacle is enlarged and expanded and increased to be a corporate tabernacle. It's very significant that the tabernacle in the Old Testament, specifically as revealed in Exodus, is a type not only of Christ personally and individually, but also of Christ corporately, that is, the body Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 12 as the corporate dwelling place of God. So we begin with the picture in the Old Testament. And when we come back after our blessed sojourn in Galatians, we will consider this picture in some detail. The tabernacle is a type of Christ, and the tabernacle is also a type of the church. Since this type has this dual significance, we should expect the reality and fulfillment to have a dual significance, and that's precisely what we have. In John 1.14, we're told that the Word, God himself, became flesh and tabernacled among us, full of grace and reality. Well, this is Christ as God's tabernacle, God tabernacling among us. 
And this wonderful one, who himself was the personal dwelling place of God, is a fulfillment of the Old Testament type. But God's economy is not only to have Christ personally and uniquely as the embodiment and manifestation of God, God's goal, as seen in the revelation of the tabernacle in Exodus 25, is to have a dwelling place composed of Christ, the firstborn son, and a multitude of believers in Christ as the many sons. So it's therefore necessary and logical for Christ, the individual, personal, real tabernacle, to be enlarged through death and resurrection, to have a corporate dwelling place of God. And it's very significant that the New Jerusalem is referred to as the tabernacle of God. That is the ultimate tabernacle and the ultimate fulfillment of the type or the picture of the tabernacle in Exodus. So to recapitulate, we actually have a story of three tabernacles. We have the type in the Old Testament. That's a type of Christ and a type also of the church. Then we have the reality in two stages, Christ himself as the tabernacle of God. Then we have the enlarged Christ, the multiplied Christ, the corporate Christ, becoming the eternal, consummate, ultimate tabernacle, the new Jerusalem for eternity. This is a great revelation, and we're thankful to the Lord and to his faithful servants for pointing the way and opening the scriptures that we may see what is on God's heart concerning his eternal dwelling place. It is a great revelation. It's a great topic. We've now had 80 messages on this first section of Exodus. We're going to have more than 100 dealing primarily with this very same topic as we come back and really explore the matter of the tabernacle. It's good that we get this little foretaste today. Ron, we're going to touch something that we have talked about before, and that is this matter of worship. Here, this time, Moses was instructed to go down and to come back up the mountain and bring with him the 70 elders of Israel, and they were to wait at a certain point up the mountain, and there they would worship, it says. Let me read a couple of verses and ask you to comment on this matter of worship in the context that we're seeing in Exodus chapter 24. This is verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to Jehovah, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship at a distance. Then if we jump down to verse 11, And he did not stretch out his hand upon the nobles of the children of Israel, and they beheld God, and ate and drank. We're really not given any specific description of what their worship entailed or included, except this one verse. It's quite striking, isn't it, Ron? It's quite striking, especially when we view it in light of the revelation in John chapter 4, where eventually the, the conversation between the Lord Jesus and the Samaritan woman focused on worship. And the Lord said, an hour is coming and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit And in truthfulness, the Father is seeking such worshipers. And the context of this discussion of worship is the matter of drinking the living water. 
in God's view, the way to worship is to open to him as an open vessel, to receive the dispensing of the living water based upon Christ's redemption, to be filled with the Spirit as the living water, then our response becomes our worship. We, we praise, we may sing, uh, we may pray, but the crucial thing is that we drink God, and then God drinks of himself constituted into us. This is radically different from religious notions of worship. Now let's go back to Exodus 24. We may expect that with a word concerning worship, that the 70 elders would kneel down or they would bow down or perhaps they would prostrate themselves. Surely they would fall on their faces before uh, the Lord who is revealed to them under a transparent and clear sky. We would expect that to happen. After all, they're told they're going to worship. Or we may expect them to engage in certain kind of prescribed rituals. But there's no such thing. Instead, and I appreciate the verses that you read, instead you have an account of people seeing God than eating and drinking in God's presence. That is worship. This is what God calls real, genuine worship in spirit and in truthfulness. What he wants is that we get into his presence based upon the redeeming blood of Christ, behold him in the spirit, and enjoy Christ with God and in the presence of God by eating and drinking Christ. When we do this, we offer the Christ we enjoy to God, and God has his portion of Christ for his enjoyment, and he shares with us this Christ, and we share this Christ with him. This is real worship. It has nothing to do with religion. It has nothing to do with formality. It has nothing to do with prostrating or bowing or nodding or kneeling or rituals. God wants real worship. He wants people to drink him. He wants people to eat him in Christ as the Spirit. He wants people to be in his presence, to behold him. Then our response to the very God whom we behold and the God whom we enjoy, that is worship. This is a radical, even revolutionary notion, but we're not presenting it for the purpose of being radical or revolutionary. We're presenting it for the purpose of being faithful witnesses of the divine revelation. We need to study Exodus 24 in the light of John chapter 4 and vice versa. Then we will see what God is seeking and what God wants. He wants real worshipers who, based upon Christ's redemption, enter into their spirit, which is now mingled with the life-giving spirit. He wants them to enjoy Christ by eating and drinking Christ and to share this Christ with him. This is feasting, fellowship, worship. And we're not presenting any kind of challenge regarding this. But we are quite confident 
not in ourselves, of course, but in the divine revelation, sooner or later, God will gain this kind of worship. And when we are together in eternity, this, in principle, will be the way we will worship God, beholding him, seeing his glory, eating him as a tree of life, drinking him as the river of water of life, then overflowing with him and having a mutual enjoyment of Christ with God. Those who do this are real worshipers, and this action is real worship. The Father is hungry and thirsty for this. Let's look now at this matter of the revelation of the tabernacle. There's a particular point I want to ask you to comment on. When Moses was called to the mountain to receive the revelation of God's dwelling place, the tabernacle, the people of God were really in three different locations in relationship to that revelation. The majority of the children of Israel were at the base of the mountain waiting. Moses had been instructed to bring the 70 elders to a midpoint, somewhere up the mountain. We don't really know how far, but certainly they were close enough to see God's presence from a distance. And then, as we've mentioned, Moses himself was called completely into the glory that the elders could witness from a distance. And Moses was there in God's very presence for all those 40 days while he received the revelation. Could you comment on the spiritual significance of these various locations in relationship to the receiving of this revelation? Uh, I'd be happy to. First, I want to point out that this has nothing to do with a priestly class and the so-called laity or the so-called clergymen and pastors versus the common people. It has nothing to do with the notion that an ordained clergy has the right to be closer to God than the people who have ordinary jobs. According to the New Testament revelation, we are all brothers, we are all believers, we are all sons of God, we are all members of the body, we are all stones of the building, we are all components of the bride, we are all constituents of the New Jerusalem. There is no higher or lower. There is no distinction of clergy and laity. Having said that, I wish now to point out that at least in the present age, there are differences among God's people with respect to the degree of their fellowship with the Lord or to the extent of their intimacy with the Lord. This is an actual experiential difference, and it's portrayed both by the tabernacle with the outer court, holy place, and holy of holies, and this scene in Exodus 24 with the mountain and God's people in three uh, places with respect to it. With the tabernacle, there's the outer court. Some may, in their experience, be outer court Christians. They know something about the cross for the forgiveness of sins, something about the Spirit's washing. Then there are those who go further and enter into the holy place And they experience something of Christ as their food, as the light of life, and as the one typified by the incense altar. This is surely an improvement. But if we go on in our experience and experience the cross cross applied to our flesh, then we may enter into the Holy of Holies to be directly in, in the Lord's glory, beholding him in the most intimate fellowship. The same principle is seen 
In Exodus 24, the majority of the people were at the base of the mountain. That corresponds to the outer court. The 70 elders were partway up the mountain, let's say halfway up. Uh, They surely experienced much more of the Lord than the majority at the base of the mountain. They saw him. They ate and drank in his presence. They were under a clear sky. But they were not at the top of the mountain. Moses went all the way to the top. He entered into the glory of God, which signifies the glorious being of God himself, his glorious expression. Moses entered into God based upon the blood of the covenant. Remember, the blood of the covenant gives us access, even the right to God's being, to be infused with him by abiding in him. So Moses entered into the glory and was infused with glory to glow with the glory. So here we have three stages, outer court, holy place, holy of holies with the tabernacle, with the mountain of God, the base of the mountain, partway up the mountain, and the top of the mountain. So there are differences among God's people experientially. Now, here I want to give a very brief testimony, not exalting anyone, but just speaking faithfully. Our dear brothers were absolutely devoted to the Lord and to the truth of his word and followed him, taking the way of the cross. And they went from the outer court to the holy place to the holy of holies, from the base of the mountain to the middle of the mountain to the top of the mountain. This ministry, as presented by our brothers, is a ministry from within the Holy of Holies and from on the top of the mountain. But it's not presented so that the rest of us would have a vicarious experience. Rather, it's presented according to the truth of the divine revelation. It's presented in a way to show us this is for all of God's people. Let us come forward. Let us go on. Let us be brought higher. Eventually, the whole city of New Jerusalem as the consummate tabernacle will be the Holy of Holies. We will all be brought into the glory of God. Even we will become the glorious expression of God. So, we need to see this picture. It's very helpful. But I would add a word of caution. We should not define ourselves into the highest place. Rather, we should humble ourselves and open ourselves to the Lord. He knows where we are. He knows where we're going, and he knows how to lead us there. I hope that many of our listeners, after hearing a message and fellowship such as this, will have the kind of aspiration that permeates the book of Hebrews. Let us come forward. Let us be brought on to maturity. Let us go on and let us grow on. If we're now in the outer court, let's go on to the holy place, from the holy place to the holy of holies. If we're now at the base of the mountain, let's go up the mountain. Eventually, let's go to the peak of the mountain. And I can't help but add this, Chris. The New Jerusalem is actually a golden mountain. We even become this mountain of glory to be God's building, to be God's expression. So, if we will open to the fact on not only the apostles, typified by Moses and exemplified by Paul, have gone where most of us have not yet gone, some faithful servants of the Lord, 
like Brother Nee and Brother Lee, they have followed the apostles and followed the apostles' teaching and fellowship to such an extent that they also have gone into the Holy of Holies. Not that they would be admired for their spirituality, but that from that vantage point, they could minister to us the divine revelation in the Word of God that we could all go on and on and on until we are together corporately, eternally, in the glory and in the glorious expression of God, which is God's building, the fulfillment of his eternal economy, and the satisfaction of his heart's desire. This is what this ministry is all about. This is where we're going, and this is what we're becoming for the glory of God. Incredible weeks in the life study of Exodus. You and I have had the privilege, the rare opportunity, to spend time in the actual land where physically it took place. And so many of those scenes so poignantly matched what we had seen previously from the ministry, as you've just described. And I would add this practical suggestion. Brothers and sisters in the Lord listening, get the book. Get the life study of Exodus. I don't say this because we're, we're selling books. We, we present it to make it available to you that you would have the printed messages that you can study and study them in the light of Scripture. You could say check them out by Scripture, pray over them, consider them, and we believe the Lord will bless your study and your seeking and will enlighten you and supply you so that you too may join us on the mountain, beholding him, eating and drinking, and then going on into the glory to fulfill his heart's desire. Our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Write to us if you'd like, Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814, or send email to us, radio at lsm.org like to thank Ron Kangas for being with us. Come back very soon, Ron. I look forward to that. Amen. And thank you for joining us. I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee. Brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There you can read all of the life study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own life study reading schedule or download more life study audio programs just like this one and all at no cost. 
Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.